Pocketbook. Noun. One. A woman's handbag. Two. A paperback or other small cheap edition of a book. Hey everybody, welcome to the Pocketbook, the down market podcast where we read the hard things so you don't have to. If this is your first episode, welcome. Also, please turn around, do not pass go, do not collect 200 shekels, please go back to the beginning if you want any of the things that I'm referencing to make sense. If you are a chaotic being and you don't care about things being in order, then you know what? I respect that and you should absolutely start here and carry on. So, uh, welcome to episode 14. This is the sacred sacrificial snack time. That's what's going down here. Uh, there's some other stuff. There's maybe some chill stuff about human sexy times, things that are clean and unclean. You'll see. Strap in. Uh, as usual, disclaimers. I mean, I feel like if you've made it this far in the podcast, you realize these things, but just in case someone's joining us for the first time today, I will remind you thing number one. If you are looking for a transcendent religious experience, this is not the podcast for you. Uh, you can go to many religious establishments and find exactly what you're looking for there. This is probably not the place. Thing number two. If you are looking for deep, existential, well-researched, amazing biblical scholarship, this is also not the place for that. Um, I'm just reading the hard thing and telling you about it. Sometimes I know the answers, sometimes I don't. I suspect that a lot of the really important people also don't know the answers, but they're just not telling you. So, whew, with all that stuff out of the way, woohoo! let's get down to sacrifices. So, I kind of divided Leviticus up into chunks. So, for anyone who is unsure, Leviticus is a book, and it has about 26 chapters or so. I found the number one I was reading through and have since forgotten it. But it's, it's divided very nicely into some super organized chunks. And I also noticed that there's some plot differences. So, because things are a little confusing, I'm going to send your brains back to Exodus. So, remember when we said, oh, yeah... Those Israelites, they were at Mount Sinai, and then they went and wandered in the desert for a while. There was manna and quail poop and all kinds of good stuff. Um, we're, we're kind of doing a little bit of a, uh, a retrospective. So pretend we haven't talked about that, and we're going to go back. So all of this stuff, we talked about the Ten Commandments last week, uh, and everybody having a cow. All that stuff happens at Mount Sinai. So this is, this is happening before the 40 years in the desert, okay? So... If you're a little bit lost, um, I can't help you. Uh, <laughs> I've done my best to kind of orient you and uh, we'll see what goes on from there. So everybody's camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. We've done the Ten Commandments thing. Presumably we've done the slaughter all the people thing that happened last time. Um, I'm just going to carry on under the assumption that that's already happened. And now we're moving on to here's some specific laws. And when I, mean, when I say specific, I mean like really specific. So there are several different kinds of sacrifices. Um, they're generally divided into four categories. So what's going to happen is you want to make a sacrifice. There are a variety of ways to do that. And there are four different main categories. The first one is a burnt offering. That's just a regular old burnt offering. You're like, you know what? I love the Lord and I'm going to make him some bacon. 
And for that, all you really do is you give the best of what you have. So no shitty offerings. God doesn't like that. So pick the best one. You have to bring it to the front of the meeting tent. We talked about the meeting tent last episode. If you're confused, go back and check it out. And when you're at the front of the meeting tent, you put your hand on the animal's head. Then you slaughter it. Splash its blood on the altar. It's very important that you splash all four corners on the of the altar. Then the animal's entrails and legs are washed, because those are the dirty bits. And uh, then the priests... <laughs> it doesn't say the priests burn the offering. The priests turn the offering to smoke. Which I think is a beautiful poetic translation way of saying they light it on fire and smoke happens. Uh, and that's just a regular old burnt offering. That's how you do it. So there are also grain offerings, well-being offerings, and sin offerings. So... Grain offerings are just, hey, I'm bringing an offering to the Lord, and it's got some grain in it. So that can either be regular old grain, it can be uh, unleavened bread cakes. If you're going to offer the Lord some sort of grain substance, it cannot be leavened. So no yeasty action allowed in your sacrifices. So if you're going to do that, you have to put some fancy oil on it, and some frankincense, and some salt, to remember the salt of your covenant with God. So make it taste real yummy, you know. And then you turn to smoke, or the priests do. And unlike a regular old burnt offering, the priests get the leftovers. Yummy! So that's a grain offering. Woo-woo! So if it's a grain offering, you get to do all the fun stuff. Now we get into the two good kinds. There's also a, um, a well-being offering. And so well-being offerings is kind of basically the same protocol as a burnt offering, except that you don't use all the bits. So my understanding of a burnt offering is you slaughter the thing, you put it on the altar, and it's burnt. The whole the whole thing. That's why they have to wash the entrails and the legs and all that good stuff. A well-being offering, you only give God the tasty God bits. And if you're curious about what the tasty God bits are, uh, they're fat. All fat belongs to the Lord. Blood. All the blood belongs to the Lord. You are not allowed to eat any blood. None of that for you. Kidneys and liver, and then uh, the fat of the loins, and they kind of they are very specific about where on a critter you might find some fat, uh, any kind of fat around the entrails. All that stuff goes to the Lord, and you don't get to have any. And so uh, the other particulars, there are a couple of rules about birds. If you're going to sacrifice a bird, it has to be a pigeon or a turtle dove. No chickens or ducks or hawks or ravens or anything else like that. Only birds, and interestingly enough, I mean, they go into quite a lot of detail. Oof, God's very specific. So the first thing you got to do with the bird, I won't go into all the details because it's a little gory, but you're not allowed to sever the bird. So unlike uh, a four-footed critter where you would slaughter them, you know, you would cut their throat and and do the whole drain the blood bit, uh, you don't do that with birds. You twist their necks, and then you grab them by each wing and open them up. Uh, So you don't use a knife at all, you just kind of rip them open, which... I'm sure isn't as visceral as it sounds, but I just, like, ugh. I don't know. Seems a little intense. But the priest does that, so you don't, you don't have to worry about that part. You just have to watch it all happen. So those are, those are the extra basics. Um, some fun things that I thought were interesting of note. My favorite is you are giving an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. So he doesn't eat it. You just sniff it. He just sniffs it. You sniff it. The priests eat it. Anyway, depending on which kind of sacrifice you're giving, um, 
you leave the leftovers with the priests and they eat them. So now we're moving on to the real good stuff. So that's that's the basic basic sacrificial stuff for your everyday stuff. Now there are two more kinds of offerings. Uh, uh, sin is the major category, but then there's sin and restitution. So there's a distinction made between something that you did wrong and then something that requires restitution for somebody else. And I my sort of very limited understanding of that is that a sin can be done to yourself, right? So if you aren't following the rules that pertain to you, so, um, you know, if you are taking the Lord's name in vain, I don't know, we're, we're going to get to some of the specific punishments later, but if you're sinning against yourself and you've, you've done a bad thing, uh, then there are rules for what to do about that. If you've done a bad thing that you're not supposed to do and it impacts somebody else that's the best distinction i can make it says a restitution sacrifice is where you have incurred guilt in the sight of the lord and so but for regular sin offerings they don't talk about it like that so i'm not sure what the difference is that's the best guess that i can make um if you know someone smart who knows the answer uh hit me up so for a regular sin offering it's also divided into who's doing the sinning so if a priest sins they have to sacrifice a bull but much like a well-being offering, only the yummy bits. So the fat, the kidneys, the liver, uh, and the blood. That's what you sacrifice if you're a king and you've done a bad thing. So if anyone listening here... Oh, sorry, pardon me. A priest. If anyone listening here is a priest of Israel and you've done a bad thing, there's your instructions. If the whole people have transgressed, so if everybody in the group just collectively does a bad then they also sacrifice a bull. So I think it's very interesting that one priest is the equivalent in sacrificial value to the whole people, which is, oof, no pressure. If you're a king, you sacrifice a male goat. If you're just a regular Joe Schmo, you sacrifice a female goat. Uh, the differences between sin offerings and other regular offerings is that if you are giving a sin offering, you take a little bit of the animal's blood and you um, spread it on the horns of the altar and the rest gets poured out. And you make your sacrifice whenever your guilt becomes known. So if you didn't know that you did a bad thing and then someone comes up to you and says, hey, bro, you did a bad thing. It doesn't matter that you didn't know when you did it. You still did it and you're still guilty. So you have to make restitution for that. And the vocabulary that's used is uh, much like, remember when we were saying the, you know, the first of everything that's born belongs to the Lord, but you can substitute a goat for your kid? <laughs> goat for kid. This is the same kind of thing. You can substitute a goat in place of you. So whatever you're sacrificing, if this is a sin offering, you are giving up this animal in place of you. Because, of course, you've done a bad thing. And generally speaking, when you do bad things, uh, you get toasted. Um, but instead, what you're doing is you're allowing the goat to be toasted so that you can be forgiven. Uh, that's sort of the schematic that's going along there. So if you've done a bad thing and you want to be forgiven... Just go sacrifice yourself a goat or a bull or a pigeon or a sheep. Those are the rules. So now if you have incurred guilt, then they specify it's not a female goat or a male goat. You have to sacrifice a ram being a male sheep. So the other thing is if you've done a bad thing where you've stolen something or you've swindled somebody out of some property because you're a gigantic jerk, you have to return whatever you stole plus a fifth. So say the thing you stole was $5, you have to return $6. The whole thing that you stole plus a fifth of that. Whew, 
there we go. That's your basics. That's the recipe for how to sacrifice to the Lord. There's also, now we get back to the plot. Um, we're no longer talking about these are rules forever and ever. We get back to kind of the storyline. So when God is telling Moses about all these things, he then says, okay, bring me some priests. And if you remember from last time, the priests are Aaron and his sons. And I always thought that Aaron only had two sons. JK's lol, he has four. So here's what has to happen. The priests come, they get their fancy vestments. They've got skirts and belts and aprons and all kinds of good stuff. And they have to make sacrifices. This is kind of the first sacrifice together as a people, right? So they sacrifice a bull and a goat and some other stuff. I didn't list it out for you. And then once they've done that and they've been ordained, they get anointed with oil, which we talked about last time being very important because it makes you tasty. I don't know. Anyway, then they have to stay in the tent for seven days. So that meeting tent where God comes to chat with Moses they have to stay in the meeting tent for seven days, and here's the kicker, or they die, which ugh, seems pretty high stakes for a priest, but those are the rules. So they make all their first sacrifices, and then the Lord consumes the sacrifices with fire, which sounds like a pretty badass way of saying thanks for the grub, my dudes, but that's what he does. And so then what happens is two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they did it wrong. They didn't do it right. I was unclear about what they did wrong, but they missed a step. And then they got flambéed by the Lord. So then Moses has this moment where he turns to Aaron and he says, see, this is what happens if you do it wrong. And what does Aaron say? Nothing at all. Whew. So God 2, Aaron 0, is where we're at on this score. So now we get some rules about mourning, because you happen to have just lost your sons. If you're a priest, you can't mourn the death of your kin. So no rending your clothing, no wearing sackcloth, no pouring ash on your head, none of that stuff. You don't get to do any of that. But... Your other family can mourn for those lost family members. So Aaron's wife, presumably, would be able to mourn for her sons. Um, the other thing they're not allowed to do is while they're in their tent for seven days, no drinks. Uh, sorry, no strong drinks. They can have water, but no alcohol for those guys. No wine, no tasty stuff. Because you gotta stay sober when you're in the sacrificial snack tent. And now talking about sacrificial snacks... This is where we get to the priest's role is to eat the stuff um, that's left over, right? So they actually have to boil it and then eat it along with whatever bread offerings are left over. So, and if you're going to do that, then you have to eat the holy stuff in the holy tent. If you take the holy stuff out of the holy tent, it's no longer holy, which is a big no-no. So Aaron's remaining sons... Eleazar and Ithamar didn't eat it in the tent. And for one hot second, Aaron was about to have zero sons. But Aaron says, hey, so I actually ate the sacrifices in the sacrificial tent. My sons just made this whole sacrifice to the Lord and showed how much they loved him. Can we just take my eating it as good? And Moses says, mm, yeah, okay. And so they don't die, which is kind of groovy, really, when you think about it. <sighs> so that was a time. There's also some rules for priests about what to do 
with all of these different sacrifices. So the, the rules for priests are made into the same categories as the sacrifices. So priests have instructions for burnt, grain, well-being, and sin and restitution offerings. Um, and the instructions are basically do what I told the people you were going to do and wear your fancy clothes. One thing that I did think was quite interesting is much like quarantine precautions, priests have to change their underpants. And they go out of their way to say, you have to put on your linen garments with your linen undergarments, so no walking around pantsless, that's no good. You have to put on your clothes, do the sacrificial stuff, and then you take the clean things and put them in the clean ash pile. And any part of the animal that is unclean, you kind of gather it together, you don't touch it, you change your clothes out of your priestly clothes into your regular touching unclean stuff, I guess. And you take the unclean things out of the temple and put them in a pile um, outside. So there you go. You're not allowed to touch things. And we're going to, that's a smooth transition into the concepts of cleanliness and uncleanliness. And we see that throughout the book of Leviticus. You're punished for doing unclean things. You need to be doing the clean things. And what is clean versus what is unclean? Well, I'm going to tell you. So the first thing that they go over is clean versus unclean foods. And this is one of those things that you probably have seen or heard, like lots of people know about what's kosher, what's halal. You know, this is where we outline some of those rules. So things that are clean that you can eat. For animals, it's ruminants with cleft hooves. So ruminants chew cud. They have multiple stomachs and they bring their food back up after they've digested it partially. They chew it and they swallow it again. But those ruminants must have cleft cloven, cloven hooves. So a, a cloven hoof is where instead of like a horse where their hoof is all one thing, it's more like a cow where they have like two little toes. So you can see cows, goats, and sheep, they're all in. They chew cud, they have cloven hooves, cloven feet. And uh, horses are out. They are ruminants, but they don't have cloven hooves. Pigs are also out. They have cloven hooves, but they're not ruminants. So, whew, in case you were confused, God does a really good job of laying out all the things you can't eat. No camels. Sorry, if you were planning to eat some camel. No rock badger. I've never seen a rock badger. Sounds, I, all I can picture is a badger in a rock band. And I love that. And so you obviously should not eat the rock badger because he's busy bringing the vibes to the nation. And he's got an important job to do. No hares. Um because hares are ruminants, but they obviously have paws and not hooves. So no eating bunny rabbits, that's not allowed. So for fish, we move on from animals. That's, that's pretty much it for animals. Those are the things you can eat. You can't eat any of the other things. So now we move on to things that live in the water. And the only rule, this is a really easy one, or you think it would be. The only rule is fins and scales. If the critter you want to eat has fins and it also has scales, nom away. If it lacks either one or both of those things, so if it is perchance a scallop or an oyster, no touchy, do not eat. Literally anything else that does not have fins or scales and lives in the ocean, whales and dolphins and sea anemones and sea cucumbers and plankton, don't eat it. There's also some proscriptions against birds. Uh, it doesn't re-mention the things about doves and turtle doves, uh, but it does list a lot of birds that you are not supposed to eat. So any bird of prey, owls, eagles, any carrion bird, ravens, vultures, any of that stuff, don't eat them. Not allowed. The other things you're not allowed to eat are bats, mice, 
uh, mice, rats, those things that crawl on the ground, and reptiles. If it's reptilian, don't touch it. So they make provisions for things like lizards, crocodiles, land crocodiles. They don't say anything about amphibians, um, but they do just say, if it creeps on the ground, don't touch it. Um, I'm just guessing that the Lord is kind of like, oh my god, don't eat a frog just because I didn't specifically say don't eat a frog. Um, so no frogs either, no turtles. So there you go. That's clean and unclean food. And uh, I would feel much cooler if we just left it at food, but we're not going to do that. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about the cleanliness and uncleanliness moving forward here. You'll notice, um, and I don't mean to step on toes of, of folks who, who follow these laws uh, today, because there are lots of people that still do follow these food laws. Uh, no blood, no boiling a kid in its, in its mother's milk, all that kind of stuff, right? Don't mix your meat and dairy. There are lots of really good health reasons why you wouldn't do that. So pigs, for example, very, very difficult to get cooked properly. And if you don't cook it properly, you gonna die. Cow, goat, sheep, not so much. You can have rare lamb, you can have rare cow, and it's not going to kill you, most likely. Um, lots of these other animals, uh, you know, we've obviously learned a lesson about eating bats. That's a huge no-no. There are lots of reasons why you wouldn't eat these other animals, and, and not just because somebody said so. Like, there are solid health reasons not to eat bats and mice and other reptiles uh apparently you can have snake but who knows i I think it's a it's a good catch-all list for people in an early time who did not have access to refrigeration um and only had cooking fires to cook with we don't have ovens we don't have you know freezers and some of those kinds of things that we have now that allow us to be a bit more diverse in our diet the other thing that we don't have um back in the biblical time is any understanding of the red tide in the sense of it's going to make you sick, right? So shellfish, for example, you can only have oysters and scallops and and those kinds of um, bivalves at a particular time in the year. So if if the red tide, which is a little algae bug that lives in the ocean, if that if that's on, uh, eating oysters will kill you, right? Like that never happens with salmon. You could you could eat salmon any time and any time of the year, and it's it's safe and it's fine, right? So. Um, I just think it's interesting that the list of things that you're not supposed to eat also corresponds to gigantic health risks. And we're going to see the same thing as we move into cleanliness and uncleanliness of people. And I'm going to separate out these two concepts because I I think it's really cool to, to look at this stuff, these proscriptions, and say, you know what? If you do that thing, you're quite likely to get very ill. Um... And then we're going to go back and talk about the kinds of layers of morality and sinness that get put on top of that. Because I think, I think those two things can be seen as separate. So the first thing is we have some rules about women. So if you are on your period, you're considered unclean for seven days or as long as you're bleeding. And so that uncleanliness means you, anybody that touches you or touches your fluids uh, is considered unclean. So no touching you have to be in your own spot and no touching any of the holy stuff. That's where we kind of get that extra morality. But you're unclean for seven days. Now, if you have a male baby and you're a lady, you're unclean officially for seven days. And then you have 33 days where you're not allowed in the temple. Um, and not allowed to do stuff. You stay in your tent. And again, if you have a, a female baby, you are technically unclean for two weeks. And you have 66 days before you can go back to the temple. So just twice the amount of time. Because apparently girls are yucky. Anyway... Yeah, it's hard to separate these things out, but I do see where, you know, if, you're, if you are dealing with bodily fluids, which a lot of these proscriptions are around exactly that, bodily fluids, um, those things can make you really sick. You know, if you don't 
properly dispose of biohazards like blood, you can be really sick, right? And so, uh, you know, are you technically unclean? Well, it sure is a mess. I don't know any other folks that have periods can probably uh, attest to that. It's messy. There's blood everywhere. It's gross. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you yourself are an unclean person. Anyway, so we'll, we'll come back to that. So the other things that are considered unclean um, is they say leprosy, all types and all symptoms. And, I, and they also outline some quarantine measures for all the different symptoms. And I just want to make a note here. Um, leprosy is actually a particular bacteria. Um, I forget the name of the little bug that causes it. And it's a very, very ancient bug. It has been around since biblical times. But the kinds of things that are being described in this little section are just, if it's a disease that's going to be communicable to someone or something else, it counts as a leprous disease. So they're not saying technically leprosy the way that we understand it now. It's just, if you can catch it, uh, if it's a skin disease and you can catch it, uh, you're unclean. And you have to come back to the priests for a certain amount of, uh, in certain time increments to be checked and see if you're clean and you can go back into the regular population. So really what's being described here is you're sick, quarantine. If your hair is starting to turn uh, white and it seems like the whatever is happening to you is going deep into your tissue, it's a disease, you're, you're sick. And you can't make everybody else sick, right? So that uncleanliness keeps you uh, confined to a particular area and um, keeps everybody else safe. The other things, there are also ceremonies to purify. So once you've been declared clean, if you've recovered from your disease, um, you can, there's a, a, a ceremony to purify both you and your house and all of your garments. So basically, if you want to know how uncleanliness works, think of it as germs. If a thing has a germ and you touch it, you've got the germs. So if a person has leprosy and you touch them, you're unclean. And you have to stay away from everybody else for a whole day at least, unless you start to show symptoms. It's very much the way we treat quarantine now. Um, there's also diseases of the house and diseases of cloth and diseases of uh, other building materials. And it's, it's very interesting that uh, they talk about, so if, you're, if your house starts to rot, is really what they're talking about. If your house gets a leprous disease and there's stains and they're very specific, if you have red or green stains that are coming from inside the wall, tear down your house because it's going to fall apart and it might make you sick. If you have black or green or red or funky mold in your house, you're going to die. Don't leave it there. So some of this stuff seems like really good practical advice, right? And it just, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you've got weird funky penile discharge, don't, you, no, don't be around other people. You're probably sick. If you have weird, funky vaginal discharge, don't be around other people. You're probably going to make them sick, especially given the fact that we have really, really different uh, hygiene standards then and now. So now that we've got out of the practical sense, uh, now we're going to get into the implications of once you've become clean, quote unquote, you have to make a sin sacrifice. This is the part that I have a really hard time with. If you have a baby... You have to stay away for 33 or 66 days. And then when you come back, you have to make a sin offering. So the, the little equation we're setting up here is uh, disease of any kind, uncleanliness, is equal to sin. So you, the reason you've been afflicted with this is because you've done something bad. In some cases, you're just a woman, aka a descendant of Eve, so a tough titty. You have to just be unclean and make some uh, some sin offerings to atone for being a lady. There are other kinds of rules 
where we're getting into um, if you spill your seed, if you're a man and you get semen on something other than in your wife, you are also unclean. The thing you touch is unclean. Anything you sit on is unclean. Uh, they, they go into great detail, but the basic rule is if, if there's an unclean thing and it, the unclean thing is you and you touch anything or sit on anything, those things are also unclean. So just think about germ transfer and you'll pretty much have it figured out. Um, so then there's a little, a little blurb here about the Day of Atonement, um, which is still celebrated. I, I say celebrated, it's still observed today. Um, and the Day of Atonement, the principle is you might have sinned without knowing it, right? And we kind of covered that in your sin offerings. You, you make the sacrifice when the sin is uh, brought to your attention. So the Day of Atonement is a kind of a catch-all day where you can go around to all of your neighbors and all of your family and say, look, have I... Have I sinned against you without knowing it? Tell me now, and I'll make atonement for that. So I will do a thing to make it better. Um, it's a very, uh, very somber day. There's lots of like fasting and all kinds of stuff. So basically, it's your catch-all period for uh, things you did without knowing it. Uh, there's also a rule about offerings only being in the meeting tent or in where the where the temple and the tabernacle are. That's it. You can't uh, slaughter a cow out in the field and then set it on fire that doesn't count that's sort of like slapping god in the face and he's gonna be mad at you is basically my understanding of that so there's a few little throwaway things and now we're getting into how to treat other people and this is the part of leviticus that is hashtag problematic for some folks so once again i would just like to say this is Leviticus. It's not necessarily my opinion. I don't know how to interpret all these things. There are a lot of really smart people that do this instead. So the first rule is no naked family time. That's it. Incest is not wincest. It is right out. So if you see your father, your brother, your aunt, your sister-in-law, your brother-in-law, your cousins, anybody who is your blood relative or a relative by marriage, you see them naked, toast. It's no good. Don't sleep with your brother's wife. That's we're covering that in incest. Uh, sorry, in uh, in-laws. No sacrificing your babies to Molech, who was a god of the Babylonians who ate children and other human sacrifices. So uh, nice of God to say don't sacrifice babies. Remember that you're going to need that information later because we are going to come back to sacrificing babies, unfortunately. So there's also if you are a man and you lie with another man as though he were a woman, that's not allowed. It is, quote, an abomination. I don't know what that means. Um, I, yeah, I'm just going to put that out there. It's in there. People pull it out and uh, use it to be jerks. But I am not equipped to interpret that. I need somebody who speaks Hebrew who can tell me about that. No hating your relatives. Do not hold hate in your heart for your kin. Oy. Guess you got to forgive people. No raping slaves. That's also illegal. Uh, no reviling anyone with a disability. If you're blind or if you are deaf, they say don't put stumbling blocks out for the blind. So like, I don't know. If you're not being accessible, then you're a jerk. Leave leftovers of all your stuff. We talked about this rule before in Exodus. So leave the edges of your fields unharvested. Do not harvest all of your grapes. You got to leave that for widows and orphans and people who don't have their own fields. Uh, no vengeance. Very interesting. People will talk about the Old Testament as the time of, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and all that good stuff. Um, God is very specific. You are not allowed to seek vengeance against any one of his people. None of that. None of that. 
Vengeance will be had, and it belongs to God, not to you. He's very particular about that. Uh, if you plant a fruit tree, you're not allowed to eat it for the first three years. Once again, very practical advice. Um, because uh, the first couple of years of an apple tree, the apples are pretty gross. Now we get into some things that are delineating the Israelites from other people. And, and God says it straight out. I am separating you from others. These are the things that make you my people. Um, one of them is no tattoos, no gashes for the dead. So when you, uh, no scarification. If somebody in your family has died, you don't cut yourself. That's not a thing. And that was a practice in other tribes in that area at the time. Uh, and in fact, over quite a lot of the Levant and that part of the world, Northern Africa, all over the place. But if you are an Israelite, not allowed. You are also not allowed to consult any wizards. Um, notice that this time it is wizards, not witches. Uh, anybody who's going to work black magic for you, don't do it. You got to pray to the Lord. And again, this is one of those things where God's sort of acknowledging, yeah, those people might have power, but I have all the power. And you guys worship me. That's the deal we've made here. We're an exclusive relationship. Don't cheat on me with Babylonian witches. Don't do it. No mediums. You know who owns the future? God does. Again, we're in a monogamous relationship. Don't go cheating on me with people who can tell the future. That's it. Um, we get into a few other just good behavior things. You're just, you're supposed to defer to the old, to seniors. So don't make fun of old people because that's kind of a dick move. No cheating. Uh, no um, weighting your scales. You have to have uh, honest scales and honest measurements. Don't be a jerk and cheat people out of their stuff. No oppressing the aliens, which we also talked about in Exodus. Don't do that. Uh, be and I, I love the reminder. Like, I love the reason um, God gives for that. And he, he doesn't say, like, don't do it because I told you not to. He says, do not oppress the alien who's living in your land. You were once an alien in the land of Egypt. Remember what that was like and don't be an ass about it. So, no oppressing the aliens. Oh, so now, just in case you were curious... What are the punishments if I do any of those things? If you sacrifice babies, death. Um, if you do some adultery, death. And the thing I think is nice about adultery, it's one of the only places where the patriarchy isn't super duper relevant. Um, if you cheat on your partner with somebody else, both you and the somebody else die. It's not like a, oh, the woman has cheated on her husband, so she's going to die, but the man that she had extramarital sex with is not going to die. None of that. If you're messing around, you're toast. Incest? Death. Um, lying with a man as with a woman? Death. Um, naked siblings? No death. You just get cast out. Period sex? No death. You just get cast out. So uh, that's a good thing. Because, you know, if you're not supposed to be touching anybody who's unclean. And ladies on their period are definitely unclean. So I guess you're not allowed to touch them. If you do have period sex, then you get kicked out of the camp. Uh, the other particulars are if you are a guy and you marry both your wife and her mother or her daughter, all three of you get burned to death, which I think is, you know, yuck. Very particular. So there's some of the, some of the, um, the punishments, they're mostly death. Just, you know. There's also some strange rules for priests. Um, and then we get some more strange rules for everybody else. I I'm telling you guys, this is this is Leviticus. It's, it's just rules and rules and rules and rules. 
This is all the stuff. And again, the, the main point of a lot of these rules is to separate. I'm going to separate you, my people, from these other people, both from the Egyptians that you just left and the people who live in Canaan, where I'm going to take you. So you are different than those people. You're my people. And there are rules about being my people. God's kind of a controlling uh, partner. Anyway, so no defiling your body. So this, it took me a second to kind of figure this out. Um, what I'm getting is no mourning practices that would otherwise contravene the rules, right? So you're allowed to grieve, but no like cutting weird notches in your beard, no shaving your head, no, um, we talked about scarification, no, no cutting gashes in your skin, no tattoos for dead people. Um, so that's just a rule. There you go. If you're a priest and you have a daughter and then she becomes a prostitute, you get to burn her. Um, other rules, particularly for priests, if you have any kind of physical abnormality, um, and they go through to, to list if you have less than average height, if you have a leg that's longer than the other, if you have broken bones, if you have any sort of bodily anything, you are not allowed to serve or to be at the altar to touch the holy stuff. If you are quote-unquote unclean, no touching holy things. So, yeah, that's a pretty clear... proscription against if you are at all different in any way you are unclean as a person and you've sinned like you're you're against god which is like pretty heavy shit um so we're gonna come back to that um as i was explaining to a friend recently if you subscribe to the christian philosophy most of these rules are completely irrelevant because jesus spends a lot of time in the new testament going yeah you know all that stuff you think is the rules it's not the rules anymore i'm making some new rules um I do know that there's a lot of scholarship among the Jewish community about how exactly to interpret these rules. What does being quote unquote unclean mean? There is not consensus among most of the folks that I know in the Jewish community about what quote unquote uncleanliness looks like in the modern day. And as we discussed before, um, a lot of commentary, a lot of rabbinical writing about what all of this stuff means, because I don't know about you, but some of this stuff seems really clear until you start putting situational analyses on it. So we're going to continue with just some general rules. There's a whole section in Leviticus that's all about festivals. Lots of it was a repeat of what we've already talked about, so I didn't really go into details. One of them is, of course, the Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur. There's also Passover, um, all kinds of good stuff. That's There's a, a festival for giving all of the Lord's, all of your first things, whether it's the first grain, the first vine, the firstborn lamb or cow or goat or whatever. Sacrificing that to God, um, kind of like a, a harvest festival. And then we have some other rules. So God talks about what's going to happen if you... Oh, sorry. Before we do that, there's some basic employment law about what to do if you have someone who's an indentured servant, uh, the calendar, when the Sabbath is, how many months you can have a slave, all that good stuff. And we've kind of talked about a little bit of that before. This is just more specific about that stuff. Um... Then God gets into what happens if you follow the rules. Of course, if you follow the rules, God promises you all kinds of good things. And there's like a half a column on, you know, what he's going to do. And he'll protect you and walk with you. And he's going to be your God and you'll be his people. Everything's going to be great. But if you break the rules, oh man, like, yikes. 
is a bad time. I didn't go into detail on all the different things, but there will be some smiting up until the seventh generation. It's gonna make you eat the flesh of your sons and daughters. Like, woo, it is some apocalyptic level stuff. So basically, I think the idea is fear me and then you won't break the rules. Uh, my favorite um, is the rule of <laughs> what happens if you curse the name of God? They give an example of someone who, who does that. Uh, and basically, when they bring him to the meeting tent and Moses says, Hey, God, this guy's been cussing you out. What are we going to do about it? Uh, God says, beat him. Going to take him out and stone him. Have all the people lay a hand on him. And then they're going to throw rocks at him until he dies. So curse God, get beat. That's the rules. Um, there's also this whole thing about eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I thought that was really interesting because people sort of take that as a, I'm allowed to seek revenge, but we already chatted about that. God specifically says, you don't get to seek vengeance against my people. Uh, piss off, that's my job. So uh, this is God speaking and saying, if you do this thing, this is how I will punish you. If you cut off someone's arm, then your arm shall be cut off. You know, like that's, that's law administered by God. That's not just some random person deciding that, you know, hey, you cut off my arm, I'm going to go cut off your arm. Like there's a process. You have to go through to get that justice meted out. So, um, yeah, that's, whew, that's the rules. That's all of the rules. So many rules. And uh, that's not even all of them. So this, I also just did a little quick flip through to numbers uh, up to chapter 11, actually. And I thought I would save you all of the time. What happens is they go through each of the tribes of Israel and talk about their descendants up to like seven generations. So if you want a portion of the Bible to mine for really cool names for like a writing project or something, check out the first 11 chapters of the book of Numbers because whew, there are some names in there, let me tell you. But I figured if you wanted to go read a list of names, you could probably do that on your own time and you don't need me to talk to you about it because that's the part of the Bible that everybody wants to skip. Uh, there's also some consecration of different peoples. They get some blessings. The Levites get uh, told that they and all the all their sons and daughters are going to be holy priestly folks. Um, there's also a little moment at the end of Leviticus there for rules for vows. If you're going to make a vow, um, there's some monetary compensation rules that go along with that, depending on who you are and what you're vowing to do, or quote-unquote votive offerings. Uh, but that's pretty much it. That's that's the highlight reel of Leviticus in the first portion of Numbers. Um, next week, we're going to pop back in. There's a repetition as well in the book of Numbers about the stuff about the manna, the stuff about the quails. So now we're kind of back to the plot. Remember how I said we're going to do this little capsule skip? Um, we've done that. And we're now setting out. And so we talked about uh, in the ending part of Exodus... There were rules about how to move the temple, how to move the Ark of the Covenant. They outline all of that stuff. And once we get to chapter 12, now we're starting with new stuff. So I'm just going to give you the, the once over right now that um, chapter 11 is basically the whiniest road trip that we talked about uh, several episodes ago. So I'm not going to go into that again. Uh, there's manna, there's um, the quails and the uh, quail poop. And all of those things happen. And now we're going to move on to Aaron and Miriam getting jealous of Moses. So 
we are going to talk about that next episode. Woo! Thanks for listening through that, guys. Uh, if you have any feedback about <laughs> how we covered that massive amount of law all in one go, um, please let me know. I hope this worked for you. And we'll be back to our regular sort of narrative-based format now that the text has actually moved back to being narrative-based. And we're still with Moses because um, Moses is a big chunk of the, the Old Testament. No surprises there. And uh, yeah, we're going to carry on from there. So if you have input and you want to contact the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at the Pocketbook Pod. We announce all of our episodes up there, when they're coming out, kind of what the theme is. So if you want to stay up on that, you could follow us on the gram. Uh, if you want to send us something a little longer, you can definitely shoot us an email at thepocketbookpod at gmail.com. As always, um, please head on over to iTunes. If you don't normally listen on, on Apple Podcasts, please head on over there and rate and subscribe to the to the podcast. Uh, you can write us a review. I welcome all reviews, even if they're garbage. Uh, that still, still helps people kind of notice that the podcast is there. It helps us come up faster in searches, all that good stuff. So if you want to help us out, that's the way to do it. And I think that's all. So... Settle yourself on down with a sacred sacrificial snack. And thanks for listening. We will see you next time.